Okay, everyone, let's pray for Lauren. <laughs> Father, I thank you so much for Lauren. I thank you for what she represents, a lover of God. And I pray that right now that your love would just fill her up, that your Holy Spirit would fill her up, and that she would just flow with the life-giving water that you are pouring into her and to us. And I pray, Father, that you would just give her a boldness and that she would just have fun up here. Thank you for Laura. And thank you for Ken. We bless Ken, too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys. Thanks so much for, for having us back. I know. Could I see, again, I, who this is their first week? Raise your hand. I know you did earlier, but I just like to know when I'm talking, so I don't assume you were all here and heard everything I said before. I just want you to know, my name is Laura, and my husband Ken is here with Amos again. He joined us again. Amos just turned four months. Hi, Amos. He's fun. Um, And uh, um, we just want you to know how much we really appreciate you guys having us here. I I can't tell you how amazingly encouraging it was to come last week. I didn't really, Ken just said, hey, Laura, you'll love it. You know, you should come along and, or share too. And um, I, I want you to know it was just, it was like drinking big gulps of water. We Both weeks in a row have been yucky Tuesdays for me. And I don't know what, well, I do know why, because, yeah, because that's just how it works in the spiritual realm. But prior to speaking, it's just a bad day, both weeks. And last week we walked in and I was like, I'm tired, I can't do this. And we walk in and it's just like, I just like perked up. And then we walk into the prayer, we're late both weeks in a row. And uh, we, we come in, hence the bad week. But uh, we, I, we come in, and these guys just grab us and just start praying, and you guys just, like, spoke right, like, right into exactly what I needed and just my weakness. And so I want you to know I stand up here. I'm a weak woman who loves Jesus a lot. And I, I know last week I just kind of, like, vomited on you, you know, just parts of my testimony here and take that and throw that out. And what do you guys think? And, and I know it was just kind of like a, a machine gun, you know, just firing it back at you. But, um Anyway, we, we really are honored and we consider it an honor that you guys would even ask us to come. And, and um, the Lord is here. He's with you guys. I, we normally have a small group on Tuesday nights. We, we meet three, three Tuesdays out of a month at our house. And we asked our small group, well, after we were here last week, I was like, can we need to change a small group day? I want to come to Communitas every week. I love it here. It's so good. It's so encouraging just to walk into the presence of the Lord and sense his presence and the worship. And oh, I just, I love it. I was just, as we were worshiping, I was like, God, I don't want to go anywhere else, anywhere else. I just, I used to say when I was younger, I used to say, when I get to heaven, I want to go to the 24-7 worship room, if that exists. You know, I just, I love just singing these songs and sitting in his presence. It was so refreshing. So, I came feeling heavy and angry and agitated, and I was—I had to nurse my baby. And luckily, Erica was with with me, and she prayed over me. Um, for those of you who don't know, Erica lives here, and so anyway, she was able to pray over me. And I just, I, again, I just feel so encouraged. So it's just like I feel like you can come here. For those of you who've never been here before, I encourage you come again. But I felt like I just got like injected with like a dose of encouragement straight from the hand of God. And so all week I've been telling our friends, I'm like, you guys have to go to Communitas. They don't have childcare. I don't know how you'll figure it out, but you know, <laughs> that's stressful, but, but come anyway, figure out a way, make it happen. So, um, last week Ken addressed the men and, um, and, and as you probably saw for those of you guys who were here last week, that Ken and I are very different. Um, and <laughs> mildly different. But, um, but I want to just explain something that he really did feel like he had a word for the men here. And that was, he said it over and over, man up and get married. And he, he explained it, so I can't, I can't reiterate all the sermons or all his message, but it really was a word to men. And I, I, I know that that can be offensive to us as women because, one, we're hearing it and we're like, is that a word to me? And two, yeah, we're, you know, we put it through all fil- our filter, but I, I, I know that it was a word to men. And so I just want to remind you of that. And I felt like I had a word for the women. And he, even again tonight... I know there are parts of it that that everybody can take away from, but I do feel like God wanted me to speak to to you beautiful um, sisters in the Lord tonight. So um, I want to say again, for those of you who weren't, weren't here last week, I we came and we shared about a little bit of our testimony. Um, basically, we have four kids, Elijah John, who's six, Abel, Justice, um, who's four, Noel, Scarlett, who's two, and um, Amos James, who's four months. And um, so I'm a mom, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and not only am, am I a stay-at-home mom, I'm a homeschool mom. So I'm one of those people <laughs> I've walked into. I don't know, was anybody here home? I don't know. I didn't even know homeschooling existed before I went to the church we go to now. 
And, uh, and then once I realized it existed, I was like, I don't want to be part of that. Like, I just felt like it was like everybody had long hair. They were just like, and, and like skirts and these frumpy women. And I was like, no, God, no, don't make me do that. And uh, anyway, here I am. I go to the conferences. I champion homeschooling. And that's what I do. I hope I fit. Anyway. Um, but uh, but um, I want to say, I know I don't have a skirt on, you know. Anyway, yeah. Um, but I, it's true when I go home, when I'm from the South and when I go home, I, I, my, my, I have obviously two parents. My mom grew up, she, she grew up in a Pentecostal holiness church. Don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of it. They're not really popular up here. Pentecostal holiness. So anyway, I, I would go there in the summers. My parents were divorced and I would go visit my mom and I would come, you know, just out of the bedroom. It's time for church. Church went on for about five hours. And uh, I'd get ready for church, and we, we would go out, and my mom would look at me. She's like, are you going to wear that? And I was like, what's wrong with this? You know, and she's like, you know, and I was kind of the sassy teenager who was like, well, you know, I can wear whatever I want to wear. It doesn't matter. That's my grandfather's church that he planted, and he's dead. I don't care. I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear. And, uh, but I would get there, and I was like, I would just feel so uncomfortable because everybody did have their skirt, you know, to the floor, and then all the women had long hair. They didn't cut it because their hair was their glory. I don't know if you guys read that in the Bible. And they would have their buns, their hair kind of wrapped in buns. And uh, and my my uncle is the pastor, my great uncle, and he would get up to preach, and he would. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about tonight. It's just, it was just mesmerizing. But anyway, he would get up to preach, and he would start out really quietly, and he would say, "I know you're all glad to hear to be here tonight," and he would just start screaming, scream fest for like an hour. You know, you just sit there listening to him screaming, and then the Holy Ghost would fall. And, um, and the women would, like, get the Holy Ghost. And when they got the Holy Ghost, they would move around. And their hair would fall out of their buns. And so their hair is just, like, flinging. And I, the first time I brought Ken to it, we sit down. And I'm like, get ready for a ride, babe. It's going to be funny. And I just wanted to watch Ken, and you know, because I grew up with it. So it's kind of normal to me. But, um, but the amazing part was all these women who were in the choir, when they get the Holy Ghost, and they would kind of, like, move around. By the time it was time to sit back down, they could like quickly whip up their hair and put their hairpins perfectly back in their hair and be neat and tidy in the front of the church. It was crazy. So anyway, that's what I, um, I, I say I grew up with it, but I lived there in the summers, and so I would see it in the summers, and I did learn to wear longer skirts and sleeves. You can't go sleeveless there and all the stuff. Anyway, don't know how I can even tie that in. There is no tie-in to that. <laughs> I don't remember why I even started that story. Sorry. Um, Anyway, that's about my past, so that we'll just go on from there. Um, but uh, I, I did grow. I shared my testimony last week, and um, and I didn't, I didn't want children, and I kind of just breezed over that briefly. But I, I grew up not wanting children. I didn't know I didn't want children. I didn't know that was even in my heart. And um, I don't want to reiterate everything I said last week, but I want to be honoring to the people who are here because I think the Lord wants to do something tonight, and I know He wants to do something tonight and bring healing to many of you. And so. Um, I, over the course of our marriage, early on in our marriage, the Lord began to heal my heart. But what I didn't tell you last week, and I want to just touch on, is that I believe every woman here, whether or not you ever bear children or not, and whether or not you ever get married or not, because Ken did preach, and he told all the guys to man up and go get married. But as a woman, you can't do anything about that. You know, I, I realize that. You're just kind of like, I'd love to, thanks. Thanks for the word, Ken. <laughs> you know, like, can't do anything about it. You know, but... But as a woman, you're called away. But I want to say this to you. Whether or not you ever bear children with your womb, you are called distinctly to be a female and to be feminine in, in the biblical sense of feminine, not just some pseudo-stupid stuff that nobody wants to be a part of. There's a true femininity that God created and a true masculinity. And that's what you're all, all women are called to be. And you're all called to be maternal. There should be a maternal desire that was that was in you from your birth and that has been fostered and had life breathed into it to where you don't despise being a woman, to where it doesn't grate on you, to where you don't hate when people call you a woman or say they want to serve you or help you or even insinuate that you could stay at home. All of those things were so, to say they were offensive puts it mildly to me. They were so offensive that it would make me angry to, to, to be where you're at, to sit and listen to somebody like me would have infuriated me. It would be, it would, to say it's offensive is putting it mildly. I don't know how else to describe it. And, um, and that was my tip off that there was something going on in me, but I'm aware of my audience tonight. And I'm aware that some of you are sitting there and you're where I was. And I want to tell you the number one reason I believe I was where I was is because of my childhood. And I know my childhood is not that uncommon. I know the times that we live in and I know 
much of the abuse that many of you may have come from. And some of it was overt abuse where you, you were physically abused, but some of it is just the neglect that you grew up with and nobody fostering this into your heart, the loneliness that some of you grew up with. Some of you practically raised yourselves. You never had a mom be a mom to you. Even You may have even had a physical mom there, but she never mothered you or breathed life into who you were, or your father may have never done that. And so I'm aware that there is incredible woundedness in this crowd tonight. I, I'm not ignorant to think that none of you sitting here, I know you all have a story. Um, and I had a story too, and I won't, I won't bore you with all the details, but it, it, essentially my dad and mom were married. My dad was in the military, and so we moved around my whole life. And my, we were stationed in Alaska. Don't go live in Alaska for the fun of it. It's pretty in the summer, but in the winter, it's dark all the time. All the time. I think it was like two hours a day. And if you, you want like a, a crock pot for depression, go live in Alaska in the winter. It's, it's pretty miserable. And so my mom, as a kid, I didn't realize that, but my mom suffered through that through whatever reasons, whatever, I don't know, she, she decided to just pack up and leave her family. This is Christian home. She packed up and just left one day without any warning. And so what happened was my dad raised my brother and I. My dad's this big, like, authoritarian, awesome guy who's always a leader. He's in the military, and he's always kind of moving up in the ranks in anything he does. And so um, what happens is this little girl grows up. My brother Aaron is older than me, and then there's dad. Who am I going to want to be like? My mom, who left me, no, who I never see anymore. I'm unconsciously going to want to be like my dad. And so dad raised me, and, um, and then when he did get married... Um, it was kind of too late for some new woman to come in and be like, I'm going to be a mom to you, you know, and love on you. you. You don't receive that from your stepmom. There are aspects that you can receive from a stepmom, but I'm fully convinced that the line of blessing comes from your birth mom. And that's another sermon for another time because I know some of you guys, your birth moms might not even be alive or they might be such a hateful person that the thought that that woman could ever be a blessing to you is a foreign concept, but it's true. And um, even in their broken way, they're still a blessing because they gave you life and you grew within their womb. Anyway. All that to say, I just, I went on from there, never really attached to my mom, kept wanting to be like my dad, and never never really knowing that I was actually being discipled to kind of be a guy. I always say, I am. I was a perfect setup to be a lesbian. I, in some ways, I don't know if you guys minister to, if we see that all the time in our community of people who struggle with homosexuality, so it's just a very comfortable topic for me, so sorry if it's little weird for you guys, but I, I was just a perfect setup to be a lesbian. In some ways, I don't know why I wasn't. I, I, it was a perfect setup to hate my gender identity, to not want to be anything, and to want to be this big, strong woman. I have a degree in political science and communications. Why? Because it was going to be like my dad. It was going to be the first president, female president. How often have you guys heard that? It was going to be the first female president of the United States. And, uh, and I just, I wanted to, I, I, not that a woman leader is masculine, but there was like no femininity even fostered in me. And so anyway, I share that because I know there are massive strands of, of that that are many of your story tonight. And even if you're all girly and you love dressing like a girl or dressing like a girl repulses you, there's still inner stuff that God wants to straighten out and highlight and heal. And I asked for that tonight. I've asked for that for you guys this past week, and I asked for that tonight in worship. And I know, I know that I cannot do that, but I know whom we have believed, and he is able, he is more than able to heal you and to restore a wounded heart. I shared last week in my testimony that I would, I, when God healed us, it was like God healing an alcoholic or somebody who's been so caught in such a destructive sin that the thought that they could be healed in a moment is almost unbelievable. But the Lord healed me in a moment, apart, of any, apart from any psychiatrist or psychologist. That, that was just the route he had me on. He healed me by a breath of his, uh, of, from him, from his lungs, and a touch of his hand. He healed me and restored me. And he continues to, but that, that old stuff is gone. Um, I want to tell you, I told you a little bit about my testimony, but I want to tell you a little bit about your testimony. Um, most of you in here have grown up in America, and because you've grown up in America, I can at least tell you part of your testimony, because that's where you grew up. First of all, the culture that you live in has not cultivated motherhood in your heart. I want to say that again. The culture has not cultivated motherhood in your heart. They have done nothing for you to cultivate true biblical motherhood in your heart. And again, I'm not just speaking to bearing children. I'm speaking to you right now who've never born children, that there should be a maternal desire in your heart to love the weak, to love the broken, to love the child, the helpless child. That should be in every woman sitting here. I, I remember like when I was starting to 
get realize that this wasn't in my heart. You know, I would go to my friends who were starting to have babies, and they're, you know, they're in the hospital and they just birthed their child. You know, and they're like loving on them, and I'm, you know, they're mainly for my friend. And then they they inevitably say, "Do you want to hold my baby?" And I remember thinking, the right answer is yes. The right answer is yes. Yes, I love to hold your baby. Like I was like, how do you even hold a baby? I don't know. Like I just had no desire. I was like, yeah. So okay, thanks. But there was nothing even cultivated in my heart to even want to hold my French child. I was like, cute, but not for me. Anyway, um, I want to say this: that in many cases, the church has not also not cultivated this in your heart. At best, the church has been indifferent on this issue. At best. Um, the Catholic Church does an amazing job of, of honoring the, the thought of bearing children in, large, in a family. Not even just a large family, a family, but the church has been indifferent at best. Um, they, don't, they don't promote bearing children. I don't even think a lot of the church disciples you into once you bear children, what that means. Like, what does that mean to be a parent? There, there's amazing biblical um, accounts and examples and words on how to be a great parent. Like, amazing. The Bible is literally, like, dripping with it. It is a major theme in the Bible. And and I, when I first started out, had it not been for my husband, I would have just been like, Dr. Phil, Oprah, can you help me out here? And Dr. Phil and Oprah are very ready and happy to teach all of you how to be a parent. They love it. That's what they get paid to do, and they love it. The Bible was dripping with it, and I seem to miss that. And unfortunately, the church misses it, and they don't teach. You don't hear that from the pulpit. Maybe it shouldn't come from the pulpit. Maybe it should come from a small group. But at least it should come from somewhere within the church. We needed to know that. But you guys haven't heard that because you've grown up in America. The other thing, because you've grown up in America, know that you have lived with entire industries that are devoted to you managing or preventing childbearing. Entire industries in America, huge Big corporations and businesses that want your money exist purely for, for the prevention or the management of childbearing. If you don't want a child, go get a certain medication. Five years, bam, you don't have to have one. If you don't, if you only want to go on a month-to-month basis, bam, you got that drug. If you want to just totally eliminate the option of ever having children, easy to do. You don't even have to like validate your reasoning. They're like, you want to cut out your ears? Sure, we'll cut out your ears. Done. It's, it, it, it's an easy thing to do in America to make sure that you never bear children. And we've all grown up with that. We've seen the commercials on TVs. We've heard people talk about birth control, and we think nothing of it. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying birth control to never use. I just want you to hear that you've grown up in a culture that has a buffet of options on how to manage your womb and whether or not you should ever give your womb over. Furthermore, there are entire industries in America that are devoted to once you and if you ever choose to bear children, they ensure that you never have to raise your child. They make it perfectly easy for you never have to do, do that. There are daycares, a dime a dozen around here. And to me, one of the saddest tragedies that I ever hear is that people um, who put their child in daycare at a young age, I, I've heard all the arguments and all the reasons. I just can't handle staying at home with my kids. I have my job, blah, 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 I'll talk about that later. And so they tell their kids as they're driving their little one-and-a-half-year-old to daycare so somebody else can raise their child that they were called to do. They say, honey, we're going to school now. Nothing makes me angrier than that. I'm like, you are lying to your child. That is not school. School starts when you are in kindergarten or first grade. That is daycare. That's having somebody else do your job for you because for whatever reason you're too broken and not able to do it. And entire industries exist. Seriously, they're on every block, daycares. I walk. I, I was walking with my kids during the day, and they saw all these kids playing out in this concrete playground. And the, the boys are like, what's that, Mommy? Can we go over there? You know. And I'm like, godly answer, godly answer. No, they're kids. Those are kids. They're, uh, they're, and really, what is a godly answer? Their mom and dads are at work. Why are their moms and dads at work? Well, um... They need money. You know, I, I can't even think of how to explain that to our kids. And I just said, by God's grace, if he helps me, I, we will never have you go to one of those places. Mommy and daddy want to raise you. Yes, it's very, very, very hard. But nobody in that building is going to do half as good a job as I'm going to do because they don't care. It's not their child. Amen. It's not their child, and they can't. They don't have the anointing on them for it. They don't have the calling on it for it, on them for it. Now, again, I'm sympathetic to single moms, and I know that there are seasons for everybody, and sometimes you need something like that. But again, I just am pointing out, in America, they are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. It's not abnormal to put your child in daycare. Um, you know, when we, 
daycares are in every place recreational for adults. Even if you choose to bear children and have your children, you can still just keep kind of parceling them off to wherever you go. Lifetime, my friends all work at Lifetime Fitness in the childcare unit, and it, it's depressing. It is sad. My, my friend runs that branch of Lifetime, and she says it's amazing the amount of moms who come in and they're kind of running and stressed, and they're like, here's my baby, you know, and they put their baby down in their car seat because they picked their baby up from daycare in that very car seat, drove them to Lifetime, left them in the car seat, brought them there. The mom literally says, I don't really know the last time they've eaten, but they're sleeping now, so hopefully they'll stay asleep. Got to go get to my workout. They go get to the workout. They come home, put the chance for the baby to food and then to their crib. And that's what they do. But you know, it's not just that Lifetime. It's that, you know, sporting events. Drop your kid off. Ikea, drop your kid off. Cruises, drop your kid off. You know, drop your kid off. Well, I'll take your kids so you guys can go have fun. We have grown up with that. You've been surrounded by that. And it is, is naive to think that in some way, shape, or form, that hasn't affected the way you view the children. Amen. Beloved, this is happening elsewhere, too. You know, Ken touched on it last week. I won't go into it this week. But in Germany, the, it's, it's, this isn't just an American problem. This is, this is a, a distinctly European problem as well. Greece, nobody's bearing children there. In Germany, but mo a lot of couples there are not bearing children at all or only bearing one children. And so as a result, Germany... Ethnic Germans are shrinking, and it's being people are being imported there to run their industries and their corporations because ethnic Germany is shrinking, um, and and that's just on Fox News. You can just go, if you click on, just so you know, I'm not making this up. Google Google German population or anything like that. I just saw another interview by the head lady there, blah blah. blah I don't know her name, and she was talking about it. Um, anyway, so that must beg the question for all of you sitting here right now to ask yourself, is this sickness in me? I know that this sickness is in my culture, and I can see that this sickness might be in the church, but is this sickness in my heart? So we're going to pray, Holy Spirit, only you know my, my brothers' and sisters' hearts. You know them better than we know our own hearts, because you're the maker of them. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak. So, um, and the quietness, just ask him to speak to you. Whatever he wants to say. Not, does Laura have a word for me? But, um, Holy Spirit, is there something here that you want to reveal to me? And uh, invite him to. Invite him again in his lordship. Say, Holy Spirit, I'd love for you to speak to me tonight. I would say that much of this sickness is in our heart. And I want to tell you, here's what it sounds like in us. I, I came up with the three Fs. I, there might be more Fs than this, but I, I think that there are three primary Fs. One of the number one reasons you hear, common, common, for reasons why people aren't having kids or they're delaying kids by massive ways, finances. Kids are just expensive. We need to save up money. We need to save up money. We, in my case, I, I talked to you guys last week about how I, I realized when the Lord delivered me and brought the first huge healing in my heart, I realized I came from a long line of people who didn't want children. <laughs> I realized my dad didn't really want us. My grandfather didn't want us. When you talk to my, I'm really close to my dad, and when you ask him now, why did you guys wait so long? He just said, Laura, it was such an immense responsibility that I realized in my mind that I couldn't conceptualize ever having enough money to afford it. And, and my dad kind of knew the Lord, I think, but you know, didn't really have a lot of godly counsel. And so he just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. So 10 years in, my mom's like, enough waiting. And she went and took herself off the pill without telling dad. And they, here I am. But um, <laughs> surprise. But um, praise the Lord. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, finances, I think finance is such a cop-out answer because how can you ever know that you can afford anything ever? Like, how do you ever say, well, I, this is enough money. We all know what the economy is doing when, what we thought we could all afford and buy before doesn't matter. Or, you know, all our savings is it diminished. You don't know what you can afford. I, and that, that's you taking God out of the equation. That's you saying, I can manage all this, God, now I'm ready for it. Where God would love to say, hey, I may never give you a full-time secure job. I just want to be your provider. Just trust me, and I will provide all the finances according to my riches and glory that I will, that I will give to you. Um, the other reason, fun. This one makes me so angry because um, it's so ungodly. And I hear this from my brothers and sisters in the church. My my friend who got married, she she's... 30-something right now, and she, her single singlehood was a torment to her. She was one of those people that really struggled with her singleness, and uh, and she was miserable, and she kept praying and praying and praying, I want a husband, Lord, I want a husband, bring me a husband, I want to have a family, I want to have a family, and so lo and behold, the Lord brings her this wonderful, amazing, godly husband, and I saw her years after they were married, like 
years, maybe two or three years. And I was like, hey, how's, you know, how's it going, you know, or whatever, because I knew they didn't have kids. And she's like, you know, we really just want to have fun right now. And I was like, yeah, that's really not biblical. <laughs> the Lord loves for us. To, I didn't say that to her. But um, I was like, maybe you can pray later, whatever. I, I think I just had him. But uh, I, what I mean by saying that that's not biblical is completely doing things out of selfish ambition and self-serving yourself is not what you see in Jesus Christ. You don't see that in him. Read Philippians 2. He was a servant of all. He was a servant of all. He considered himself small. He, and that, that's our Savior. That's our Lord. Why would we ever aspire to be anything else? Another dear, dear family member of mine was explaining to Ken and I. He doesn't, none of my family even knows I preach this message. Today they, they like get these recordings. Anytime they're like put online or recordings, I'm like, I'll make sure I don't mention to my parents that I was doing anything in church that week because I don't want them to hear it. But um, my, my dear family member was just telling Ken and I why him and his wife were stopping at having two kids. And I'll never forget what he said. It shocked me. We were sitting in his living room. It's Christmas time, you know, and the kids are running around. And it's crazy. Don't get me wrong. It's crazy. And it's a ton of work. But that's life. Anyway, he, he's sitting there, and the kids are running around. And my family member <laughs> looks at me. And he said, you know why we're done? He, I'll never forget it. He looked at us, and he said, it's just not fun. And I, I was like, I, I, I can't believe you just said that. I don't know what to say to that. See, I, I, one of the things that I'm starting to get in Christianity is that Christianity is about long-suffering and perseverance and endurance. And those things aren't fun. That's just hard. That's hard. But you know what? There is a day when it won't be hard. There is a day when it won't be hard. This is like such a tiny, 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 tiny piece of your existence here on earth. Store it for yourselves, treasures here. No, store them up in heaven. There will be a day when you can relax and it will not be hard anymore. And the judge will come and he will make all things right. But that day's not today. And today we are on earth and it's just going to be hard. There are seasons, life, maybe forever, that it's just, it's going to be hard. But we can't avoid those things. And to think, yeah, I love my friend just wrote a blog and he's like, you can have your pleasure now or you can have your pleasure later. It's not hard to have your pleasure now. Put your money where you want to. Put your money in your boats. Put your money in what you want. You know, your materialism, all that now. Have your fun now. And it will be fun now. But rest assured, you will be completely missing out on what God really had for you in terms of endurance and in terms of the things of gold that he wanted to put into your heart as you walked in, um, um, you know, self-control. And as you walked in those things and you didn't eat the materialism monster that's here on earth, there will be, it says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. So anyway. The, the fun comment just just grinds at me. It grinds at me. Anyway, um, but the, the last F, and I think the F, this is the F that the Lord, that a lot of us in here, I felt like the Lord was showing me, um, can relate to, is fear. Um, there's fear. There's fear over that issue. Will I be what I had? Will I reproduce the same horribleness that I grew up with or that I saw? That I saw in the church, that I saw from my own dad, that I saw in my family members, that I see all the time on these miserable women at Walmart trying to check out, screaming and yelling at their kids. I don't want to be that. And, and, and that's my testimony. Is that we have so many cruddy, junky examples of, of godly marriages and godly parenting. Well, that's not accurate. We, we have so few examples of it that it's hard to aspire to be anything that you've never seen. When the Lord spoke marriage to me, I was weeping, and I said, no, God, I don't want to be like them. And, uh, and I kept saying to God, God, show me just one godly couple. Show me one couple that is sincerely, happily married with one another and don't bicker and argue all the time, just one. And God's like, I can do that, but I'm not going to show you that right now. You need to look to me and let me define what I have called marriage to be and let me define what I've called parenting to be. We have so many miserable examples that it just breeds fear in our heart. None of those are good reasons. But I want to tell you even more so. I've told you what it sounds like in America. I want to tell you what this sickness, this avoiding having children, sounds like in the church. Because it's in the church as well. And these are all the arguments that you'll hear lots. Um, you know, God, uh, Paul said, the argument is, I can do more for God single than I can married. And that's true. I'm not going to argue with that because that's biblical. Paul said that. You can do, you can do more for God single than you can married. However, I'm aware that most of you in here are going to get married. And so Paul also said, the same man who said that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he also said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, marriage should be honored by all. 
Marriage is a beautiful thing, and it was God's design. He is the first author of marriage. It was his institution that he created, and he puts himself in that institution. Even unto the end, there will be a wedding, because he loves marriage. There will be a wedding. There will be a wedding. He loves marriage, and it's been so marred in our culture that so many of us despise it or don't want to be a part of it or the fruit of it in children. But it was a holy thing and a precious institution that he created to be beautiful. Um, the other argument, we take that, well, if I can do more for God married or single than married, then maybe that also applies in marriage that I could do more for God without children than with children. I want you to know that I have never seen that anywhere in Scripture, and nobody I've ever talked to. That is not... It is, it is understood in scripture that children, and it says, children are a blessing from the Lord. They are a gift. It is understood that in marriage, it is a gift to bear children and that you're called to bear children and many children. That I, I'm not putting a number on it, but it's understood that this is a blessing. Um, the other thing, uh, you need to get to know your spouse better before you have children. What a load of malarkey that is. <laughs> like, sorry, malarkey is like a 1970s word. Um, <laughs> What a load of junk. I don't know what's the equivalent. Um, you, you, the, the argument that you need to get to know your spouse before you get married. Here's the deal. Let me just do it in a practical equation. In marriage, or in bearing children, often children will stay at home for about 18 years. And then say you have more than one, assuming you have more than one, then bump that up to 20 years. Say you have like four, 22. And that's assuming your kids are two years apart. Maybe they're 10 years apart. So my point is, is if you have kids, you will be raising them between 18 and 30 years or more, depending on how many you have. Why build a foundation of just you and your spouse all the time when that's not realistic? That's not even what 30 years of your marriage together will look like. It's just you two. I think that you can actually get to know one another better and the and true authenticity when you're put in the fire of having children. And that's actually why I believe he brings couples together. It's not so that you can just be together and have a fun fest. And so you can actually raise a family and, and walk into that. I feel the longer you wait to not have kids when you're married, the more you grow in your selfishness and selfish desires. It just is. Parenthood removes all of that from you. It removes all of those opportunities to just do whatever you want, whenever you want. And it, it puts you in a situation where you, so a child is in constant need of you. And that's reality. Um, I love that that. Be, by God's sovereignty, I didn't lay a foundation of 10 years of doing whatever I want because I guarantee you I would have gotten a job in those 10 years. And I guarantee you we would have enjoyed my income during those 10 years. So if and when we did have a baby, it would be very hard to let that go. Already we were three years out, three years into our marriage when we had kids. I told you last time, I didn't cook. Like In my mind, Ken and I were both working the first three years of marriage. Why is cooking my responsibility? I'm at work too. I mean, I had that in my heart. Sorry, I don't know, maybe some of you guys can't relate to it. But I had that in my heart and I was like, you know, I'll do the laundry and stuff, and I might tidy up here, but it's kind of equal responsibility, babe. Like, we're both at work. We both should do it. Now, I'm at home. It's my delight to do, um, to take care of the home. Like, I actually love it. I love that, like, I manage the home, and it's kind of my area. And why I would be like, I'm not going to do that, you know, it's just so selfish. It's just so self-absorbed. Anyway, um, there's actually, you guys can look it up, Dink is on computer. It's D-I-N-K. It's dual income, no kids. In America, there's actually this, like, proud organization of we have two incomes and we don't have any children and look at us and look at all that we can do with all our money that is wicked and that is dangerous and it's toxic don't touch it don't touch that materialism with your hands or your heart the other argument you hear in the church is end times i know you guys have had some eschatology teaching here study of end times but um one of the arguments i hear and i've even kind of toyed with it in my heart is that wise and is it prudent if the lord is coming and coming soon is it prudent to bring another child into this world why would we bring them into this impending destruction that's coming in America? Well, I just want to say, let God sort out how he needs to prepare you. Just because you think you might be in the last generation doesn't eliminate everything you've seen in scripture up until then. In our small group, we had a great discussion last night. And our conclusion was, even if we are in the last generation, we need to all the more just apply what we see in scripture. Love one another, have children, stick with it. Let the Lord sort out what that looks like. He doesn't say anywhere, I remove my commandment to bear children when I'm coming soon. He doesn't say that. The commandment is still to bear children. And that's unto his glory. I love, I was just really sharing this with a friend, I love that whatever children I bear now in faith will come to love him and know him and they will be part of the army when he returns or their kids or grandkids or whatever. They will be part of that. They will be part of this eternal picture. And the thing I love even more is in faith, 
I was part of bringing a soul that will one day stand before God in all eternity and will be part of the eternal chorus that loves him. Had I not given over our womb, my womb, to the Lord, people would not exist in heaven. I actually had the power to remove people from heaven that should be there. I have the power. God's actually given me that option by, by, um, by him not controlling everything that we do by free will. He's given me that option to cut off my fertility totally. He's let me have that authority. Even though he might want to use my womb for a child, he won't force me into it. And so I love that as we bear children in faith, we're bringing them before God. And that for all eternity, these people will exist. For all eternity. It's not just, think long term. Don't think so short term, 80 years. It's so short term, 80 years, 90 years. Short term, short term, short term. Think all eternity. These are souls that will stand before God. It's amazing. It's amazing opportunity, women, that you... Men cannot do this. They cannot bring these children in. You actually have the ability to, to prevent this. And I just want to say again, it's an amazing opportunity in marriage to bring forth children that will know God, that are made and designed by him within your womb. No man can do that, and it's a precious gift. I want you to know what God says. God says that they are a blessing. Psalm 127. Sorry, I'm, I'm queen of memorizing verses and not the reference. So my children are even on it for me. They're in Awana. It's like this Bible memory thing. And uh, I didn't grow up doing it. But like they always make you like say the reference before and after the passage, you know, and Elijah will be like, where's that at, mommy? Uh, let me look real quick. I have a concordance for it. Anyway, um, Psalm 127, that children are a heritage and a gift from him. They are a reward from him. I want you guys just to, if you remember nothing else tonight, I want you to remember that, that the word says they are a gift. They are a gift from God. And actually, biblically speaking, barrenness was actually a curse from God. I want to cover that statement saying a number of my friends have experienced infertility for lots of different reasons. So I'm very sympathetic to that. And I don't know that my womb won't close up at one point. But in scripture, you see that fertility was seen as God's favor upon you. When he gives you the, the ability to bear a child, it was his favor and it was his gift to you. And infertility uh, was a curse. Um, a gift is a present. A gift is a present from your maker. The one that knows you better than anybody else and designed you, distinctly formed you with his hands, knows exactly how you're made and what you're like and what you need from him. He says, I'm going to give you a gift. It's often, I think he like offers us gifts. I don't know if you've read Revelation, but there's seven churches at the beginning of Revelation, and God gives gifts and promises in there. And so many times I read those gifts, and I'm like, that doesn't do much for me. One of them, he says, you persevere into the end. I'll give you a stone with your name on it. And I was like, thanks. But God knows me, you know? And so one day I was like meditating on the word and I passed a rock on the ground and I, I kind of like, I picked it up in faith. It's a rock that's in our kitchen, babe. And I picked it up in faith and I was like, in faith, I'm believing that you know the best gift for me. I think the best gift for me is a pair of black boots right now. But you know the best gift for me when I stand before you is you want to give me a stone with my name carved on it, engraved on it. I don't know what that means right now, but we see so dimly down here. We see so dimly. I will be ashamed when I get up there and he's passing out these glorious stones that people are like salivating over. And I was like, I didn't want that. I'm sorry. Can I have one now? No, it's too late. Persevere to the end and you get your stone. Anyway, he says, he says, Revelation 2 and 3. It's somewhere in there. Um, again, I don't know references. But um, God, God says, a, a child is a gift to you. It's a gift. I'm giving you a gift. I'm giving you something that's precious. From your father, he's giving that to you. Um, you know, I want you to know that if you were a first century Jew, they would be laughing at me for why I'm even teaching this topic. Because this was so understood in the first century culture, uh, Jewish culture, this was so understood. Ch they knew that children were a blessing. They knew that it was a delight and a gift from God. It represented the strength of a family. It represented God's favor upon your life. I'm just giving you that one little verse, but I want you to know if you were a, century, a first century Jew, you would have grown up knowing this for thousands of years. It would have been in your family line and culture. You would not have grown up in America with all this ridiculousness, buffet of birth control and buffet of daycares that we could just like choose from that didn't exist then because it would have had no place there. They would have been out of business right away. A first century Jew knew the favor and the kindness of God to bear children and to give many children out. Now, I want to say this. I, um, I, the fact that we think we can even do more for God without children just shows how sick we've become. It shows how sick 
and uh, un, um, unhealed our minds have become, that we think that that's even true, that we actually contemplate that. That's not a biblical concept. That is an American concept. So what do we do? We're in this culture. What do you do with that? Well, I shared my three life-changing events with you, or I shared a couple of them last time, when the Lord healed me, and the Lord healed me in a moment of my hatred of being a woman. I was married. It wasn't like I was like, I wanted to be a guy or anything. I wanted to be a woman. I wanted to be married to Ken. I just I was repulsed by the idea of having children. And God, in a moment, healed that. And the next healing that he did in me was he spoke our son's name to us, I went to me. And I, I can't remember if I shared that with you guys last week, but in a divine-inspired moment, only could come from God, I'm sitting in a completely boring worship service of five people that went on for hours as we, we were missionaries overseas in Tajikistan. So I was with our team, and I, I, that I was so bored, you know, the first couple hours in that I, I was feeling bad that I wasn't paying attention to our songs that we were singing. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Anyway, it was, it was like, engage, engage. Yes, God, you're good. So anyway, finally I was like, I'm going to read my Bible. i got to do something. I'm checking out here. i got to do something. So I open up my Bible. It's one of those times. Just open up to whatever. I just need to be spiritual in this moment. Anyway, and, uh, and I, the Lord, I looked down, and I saw a name on the page, and I heard the Lord like i never heard it before. And that name was Elijah, and God said, name your first son Elijah. And I literally closed the Bible, and I literally looked around the room to see if anybody else heard because it was so piercing to my heart. And I open it up again, and there's this name, Elijah, on the page, and I just start weeping. And a lot came with that, and I won't tell you all that came with that, but the primary thing that I walked away with from that, I was silent for a while, and I, I was just shocked that God could speak to me. But more than that, I was shocked that he had a person that he wanted to come from my womb, not your womb, not my mom's womb, not my sister's womb, not anyone else's womb, not some Indian woman's womb, not somebody in Africa, from my womb, and he had a name. And his name meant to me that not only did he have a name, he had a calling. He had a destiny. And the thing that hit me more than anything else was that I had the power to not bring him into the world. I had the power to say things but no things. And I had been using my power for the first two years of our marriage to not bring any child from my woman to ensure that I would never have a child. And when I heard Elijah's name, you can do nothing but say, okay, God, okay. Yes, Lord. But then that last thing he did is as I continued to work that out, I went to my room one day. My, the healing had happened, but my mind had not been renewed. One of my favorite verses is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, precious, beloved women, your mind needs to be removed, re renewed, not removed, <laughs> renewed. You need your mind. Um, I prayed with a number of you guys last week, and a lot of my counsel to you was just start hearing truth on this. Like you're so saturated in America with chunky, agitating stupidness that you need to hear truth. You need to just hear truth. You need to hear people say these things to you because it breathes life to you. So you know what I do? I go around reading reading books by these women who have long skirts and their buns in their hair, you know, that I was like so offended by before. Tell me, you know, disciple me, teach me this. Like seriously, I want to go to a Catholic church that loves the Lord, that loves Jesus Christ as the only begotten son. And I want those women to disciple me because they have something in it. And uh, anyway, the Lord spoke to me in Tajikistan he said, as I was resisting him, and I was saying, Lord, my mind's not renewed. You can't have my womb, but I, I want so many other things. He spoke something divinely to me, and I shared this with you last week, but I want to say it again. He spoke to me, and he said, Laura, Jeremiah 10:23. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for a man to direct his own path. And then he spoke again. I have been crucified with Christ, and yet I live. It's Galatians 2:20. Mm -hmm. Yep. I know a couple of verses. Galatians 2.20. And uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. And in that moment, I started to realize, this isn't for me to decide. He's not actually asking me, do I want them? Don't you? Let's talk about this Jesus. He's saying, actually, I have a call on your life, and I have children that are supposed to come from your womb. Your life is not your own. I know, O oh Lord, that a man's life is not his own. Jeremiah 10, 23. It is not for a man to direct his own path. You don't get to tell him, you know what? I think I can do about three, but four or five kind of freaks me out. He didn't ask you. He said, lay down your life. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. That's Christianity 101. And I apologize if you haven't heard it before. I don't know that I heard it before I got saved, but that's okay. Learn it now. You have been crucified with Christ. 
you no longer live, but he lives within you. And the life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God. That is your life. That is your new life. It's not your life. You gave your life to him. You gave your life to him. It is not your life is not your own. Just keep repeating this. Your life is not your own. It's Christianity. What you're doing, what you're doing with your life, go to him and say, Lord, this isn't my life. Don't resist the Elijahs that he wants to bring from your womb because you think you know better. You think you can do more for him single. You know, he might have a call of singleness on your life, but let him decide that. Let him decide that. Don't resist his beautiful plan for your life. You see, tonight, I'm going to simply ask you guys to submit, submit your life to him in this. Submit this to him. I don't know how many kids he wants you guys to have. I don't even feel like I should necessarily say never use birth control or not. I know this, that it's not your choice. I know that. But I don't know what God's going to say to you, but I want to encourage you to ask him. And I'm smart enough to know that some of you, precious sisters, have had a really hard time with what I've shared tonight. And it's been really hard for you to receive even an ounce of what I've said. But I want you to know that uh, you can trust your father. You can trust him. I w- I, again, I would have been so offended if I were sitting where you're at. Because the abuse and neglect that had left me the way I was, I couldn't conquer on my own. I couldn't throw that out and just be like, what do you want me to do with this? I'm so angry. I'm so hurt. I don't even have any femininity in me to be able to hold a baby. God can solve that. And my call to you tonight is just submit to him. Um, I want to ask you, are you just simply willing to trust the Lord? Are you simply willing to submit to him? Don't submit to me what I'm saying. Are you just simply willing to say, God, I give my womb to you. I give my womb to you. Um, we sang that uh, we were made for love earlier tonight. I was made for, I was made for love. You know, and I, it's funny, I had a revelation tonight. I've always sang that song thinking I was made uh, to delight in love or I was made to love others. But I, I felt like the Lord said tonight, you were made for his affection to be upon you. You were made for his affection to be upon you. That was the reason you were designed. And I'm sorry that some of you never got that during the most formative years of your life. Many of you never got that. You never received his affection and his kindness because the people who should have been giving it to you were doing a dumpy job of it. But that's what you were made for. And that's what you were created for. And behold, he makes all things new. He makes all things new. And he can heal even that wound. He can heal even that wound. You will overcome by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of your testimony. Revelation 10, I think. (laughs) You will overcome by the blood of 12. (laughs) Whatever. Revelation. No, sorry. No, it is important. You need to know where it's at. Um, Anyway, you will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And he makes all things new. I I said to the Lord, and I say to him a lot, God, how could it be that the very thing you've made me for, to be a mom, nobody spoke into Nobody spoke into it. In fact, it was attacked. You know, you think like if you were supposed to do something with your life, you kind of would have had a sense of it your whole life and kind of gotten prophetic words towards it or whatever. I didn't hear any of that until I was like 27 years old. Satan wanted to kill and steal and destroy every child I was supposed to bear and destroy me. And he did a heck of a good job of it for a long time. But the Lord is mighty and he is strong to save. And you will overcome by the blood of the lamb and your, the word of your testimony. Ken's going to close this out here and we're going to pray for you guys. Um, last week, the guys got, uh, got a pretty heavy dose, and tonight the ladies, and so I, uh, I just want to make sure that we cover all the bases here tonight. And I, just as we, as we were worshiping, I felt like the Lord wanted me to exhort uh, you, you gentlemen as well um, in, in something, because you can hear something like this, and you're all where you're at in life, and most of you think, well, this is great, but maybe it's five years out, you know, hopefully sooner, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it, it seems perhaps unapplicable right now. And I was just asking God, Lord, is there, is there something that you want to do to, to just make this really applicable for us right now? And, uh, and he does. And, uh, and here, here's what it is. I, I once shared with a group of, uh, engaged couples. I said, you know, uh, when I got married, I realized how selfish I was. <laughs> and then when I had children, I realized how selfish I still was. And, uh, and, and I was just talking about the process of, of being stripped of self, a lot of what Laura was talking about tonight. And this, this one guy that I just love, I love his hunger for God, he came up to me, almost grabbed me by the scruff of the neck. He said, that's great, Ken, but I, wa- I want to be selfless now. 
and I don't have a woman that's willing to marry me. <laughs> and I was like, surely, God, you have a plan to strip us of, of selfishness in, in, in singleness, right? I mean, clearly, he's not waiting until the day we say I do for that process to begin. And uh, he, here's the answer. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 5, 4. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul, in, in verse 15, Paul says to the Corinthians, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. If you want to know how to, how to apply this now, and this, this applies gen, across the, the, the gender spectrum, which is two genders, but uh, the, the wide breadth of genders here, I don't know. Uh, uh, he said, you have many teachers. Lots of people have told you lots of stuff about Christianity, but you don't have many fathers. But I became your father through the gospel. And you might think, what does that mean? Well, it means this. In the way that you become a father naturally, what do you do? Seed gets planted, right? Seed goes forth and, and, and children are born. And, and you were made, you're, every one of us here is mature enough to desire reproduction. Some of you think it's a curse. Uh, it's not, it's just it's got, got timing. But, but there's, a des, there's, a, there's a desire in you for reproduction, for fatherhood, men. And, uh, and, and Paul says, I became a father to you through the gospel. What does that mean? It means I preached. I spoke the word of God. I put forth seed. Because the word is compared to seed over and over and over again, right? Faith comes by what? By hearing, hearing from the word of God. I preached to you when you were in darkness, when you didn't know God, and, and you were born again of the spirit of God. You'd been born of the flesh from your mother. Everything that we just talked about here, that's a necessary prerequisite to a second birth. <laughs> kind of hard to get born again if you didn't get born the first time. So it's good. It's good that you were born the first time, but, but, but you must be born again. And I became your father through the gospel by preaching the word to you. That's why I'm your spiritual father. So quit listening to these morons who keep telling you a bunch of bad stuff. That's kind of what Paul's driving at here. So you might ask the question, well, I'm single. I can't do anything or I don't know what the right thing to do about my present situation is, even though I do have the desire to be a wife or a husband or a mother and a father. I would say this. God has given you a splendid opportunity to learn how to do that, and, and it'll prepare you for marriage really, really well if you just want to look at it practically, but it'll change eternity for some people. Go start fathering people now. Go become a father. Put forth seed. Speak the word of God. Preach it boldly on your campus. Preach it boldly in your home, wherever. Speak the word of God. Become the spiritual parent of people. And guess what? If you do that well and you don't hand them off to daycare, spiritual daycare, you know what I'm talking about? Go to church. They're going to teach you about stuff. No, come to your, come to my house. Come to my house again. Yeah, we were up late last night and things are going rough for you. Come again. You know what it is? It's death to yourself. It's, it's, it's parenting. It's nurturing new life. It's, it's husbandry and it's fatherhood. You can do that now. Every one of you that's born again yourself in this room can do that now. Amen. Amen. We're gonna. We just want to pray for you and minister to you, Paul. You had a word you wanted to share. Should we do that later and, and just minister now? Okay. Can our worship leader come up? Do we have a worship leader in the house? Somebody can. All right. We got. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, if uh, I want to pray over you, ladies, can I pray for the ladies? Ladies, if you're in here and you just say. I just want the Lord to minister to me in the area that Laura talked about tonight. I just want you to stand up and I just want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Father, I, I thank you, God, for these women. Oh, Lord. I, God, I'm learning your heart for a daughter. I have one. She's young. Oh, but Lord, that there's a tenderness in your heart for your daughters. You, have, you love them. There's a fierceness in your heart. Over them, God, a, a, a depth of love. Father, I, I pray that they would know the love of their father tonight in a way that they've not known it before, God. Lord, that you would shed abroad in their hearts the love of Christ. 
In Jesus' name, Lord, I, I'm asking God for revelation of that. God, I pray that you would fill them, Lord, to the full measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing with your love. God, I, I want to pray, Lord, for these women who've been, anyone of them that are carrying hurt, big or small. Lord, the greatest of hurts, Father, I pray that, that they would not shy away from even considering those events in their life. But God, you would bring them forth and you would reveal to them the, 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 the distress of your own heart in those situations. God, the wrath that was stirred up when they've been violated. And the, the promise that you've made that you will bring justice to this earth. Lord, I pray, God, that they would understand your protection as a father, even in their pain. Even where there's pain, Lord. Lord, I pray that in, in, in bringing revelation to that uh, of, of your love and, your, and your, your presence even then, God, that you would begin the healing process for them. Lord, for those who've, who've not had women, uh, older women, speak into them and, and call them forth as young women. And call them into, into femininity and call them into, into motherhood. Call them into desiring to be godly wives. Lord, I, I pray that you would speak those words tonight to them. Father, I bless their wombs in Jesus' name. Father, any curse ever, ever spoken that, that has been believed on any one of their parts, God, I pray that you would reveal that and we reject those things in Jesus' name. We say your way is right. You're true. Your words are true. Your words have life in them, God. And all the things that they're running after that they think there's life in, Lord, your words have life. Father, and I, I pray for blessing over their wombs, God. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for fruitfulness. In Jesus' name. You were made for love. You were made for love by your Father. And you were loved tonight. You are loved in your place of weakness and brokenness. You are loved. Hagar said, I'm going to give you a different name because you've been so kind to me to follow me out here into this desert. Hagar said, I'm going to call you something different. I'm going to call you, you are the one who sees me. You are the one who sees me. You see that I was used to bear a child, to supposedly be the child of the promise, but we all know that Ishmael wasn't. And now here I am, Sarah hates me, and I've had to run into the desert. But I'm going to give you a new name, because you, the God in the Old Testament, have come to me. And I'm going to call you this. I'm going to say, you are the one that sees me. You are the one that sees me. Thank you, God, that you are the one that sees us. He was there, beloved. He was there. He was there at your conception. You existed nine months before you were ever born, and I want you to know he was there. And it is he, even he, who was knitting you together in your mother's womb. It was not your mother or your father. It was his affection upon you that was making you that day. It was his affection and his kindness. He was there. And he was there when you were one and when you were two. He was there your whole life. He has been there. He is the one who has seen you. He's seen it all. He has been there. And I want to say to you, you can trust him. He is safe. He is safe. I don't know how many children he wants you to have, and I don't know if he even wants you to get married or what, but I know this, that he is safe. He is safe. Run into his kindness. In your presence is where we belong, God. Lord, I bless my sisters tonight, and I pray that you will find them. Find them here. Find them in your presence. He'll work all this out, beloved. He will work all this out. Your questions and your confusion. What is this? What about that? He will work all that out. He's just asking you tonight, will you trust me? Will you trust me? In the same way that you trusted me to give your life to me, will you trust me again tonight? Will you trust me with this area? He might never have you bear children, but he just wants to know, will you even trust me? You can trust him. He is your father. Just as a married man, I just feel a deep sense of grief for what the American culture has done to women in this, in this nation, in the Western world. So just as a man, I just want to repent openly on behalf of 
the male, the male gender, to all of you women, um, we're all guilty. You know, I try hard to serve my wife in a godly way, and so does Ken and anybody other else who's married here. I imagine that's the case. But regardless of that, it's not okay what's happened to the hearts of the women in this world. It's definitely not okay. And um, I just want to repent for just even the subtle things that Laura was talking about tonight for instilling lies into the hearts of women in this world that you're something that you're not, um, that motherhood is something that it shouldn't be, that femininity is something that should be despised, all of that. Um, just even just, it goes so deep. Just pornography in, in and of itself is just an absolute disgust and disgrace. And what we have done to womanize this, this beautiful creature that God created, Zoe, just that was the, Greek word for Eve, life. Your word, your word woman in the Greek means life. You are the giver of life. That is what God destined for you. Eve, and from the onset of creation, you were designed by God the Creator to be a giver of life. And we have done just such a bad job of honoring that as men in this nation. So I just, God, I just ask that you would just give us a grace of repentance. And I just ask all you women in this in this room tonight, just please forgive us men. God, just pour it out tonight. Pour out your love. Just pour out your mercy on these women tonight, God. And I just ask you from the depths of my heart, from the depths on behalf of all the men in this nation, that you would just forgive us. Forgive us for robbing you of such a precious, precious gift, as Laura talked about tonight, the gift of bearing children, the gift of being wonderful wives. Just, I just ask your mercy tonight in Jesus' name. So God, pour out a grace of forgiveness and that you would just pour out your healing in this place tonight, God. Fill us, Lord. Oh, just fill us, God. That we would once again have a desire to walk out what you created us to walk out, God. That these women tonight would be that giver of life that you so destined, predestined them in love as it says in Ephesians, God. Ephesians 1, you were predestined in love. So give it to us, God. I just ask you for your mercy tonight, God, that just through your grace you would strip us of these wrong intentions, God. Fill us, Jesus, in your mercy, God. say he wants to to teach us how to just linger in the presence and I never grew up learning what like soaking prayer is something that's come become very common now in my life I was always like we're doing worship the more activity I'm doing the more beneficial this is and the more it glorifies God and I just feel like right now the Lord just wants to wash over us and just allow you to receive and I just want to give you permission to just stay Andy's just going to continue to play the guitar. If you have to get up and go, you're free to do that. If you want to grab food, you're free to do that. The bathrooms are over here. But I feel like God wants to go deep with this, and, and he's obviously speaking to many of, many of you already. And if you feel led, you want to ask the person next to you for prayer, you're free to do that. But don't feel like you have to. Maybe you just want to meditate on Scripture. Let's just stay in this spirit of worship and just in the, <laughs> the, the receiving mode. And... Uh, and then maybe we'll sing a, a song to close and then we'll end things and then maybe do more of the traditional, um, you know, people want to get prayer. Uh, we want to make that available. But let's just let's just stay here for a couple more minutes and just let God minister to us.
1620 says that the God of peace is the revelation of the God of peace who will soon crush Satan under your feet. And even as Laura shared that, that fear, that anxiety of the future, of looking to yourself, looking to your own strength, as, as trying to feel adequate to be able to be a a wife or a mother, that those lies are going right now in Jesus' name. The God of peace is coming. He's releasing destiny over some of you. Even as, as Laura heard the name of her first son, God's going to begin to speak to some of your hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would awaken destiny. God, what has been robbed in the hearts of your people, Lord, I ask for restoration. Holy Spirit, come right now. God, I ask for the word of the Lord. God, I ask for healing. God, the healing of your presence in the name of Jesus. Deep cries out to deep. Deep cries out to deep. 